You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. And everybody else, you can go ahead and open your Bibles over to um, Genesis chapter 12. We'll get there in a few minutes, Genesis chapter 12. So most of you all know by now that we, for the last couple of months, we've been talking about the subject of faith and expectation. feel like the Lord began speaking to us a few months ago about in, an increase for us in, in our faith and our expectation. What, when you pray, do you actually expect God to do uh, what he has said he would do? Hopefully our prayers are not so much trying to convince God that we need something done as they are praying out what God has already said about whatever situation we're praying over, right? We want to pray what God has already said. We want to pray his promise. We want to pray his blessing. We want to pray his word. We want to pray both his, the, the word in the scripture, and we want to pray, I just realized I haven't clicked this yet, huh? Um, and we want to pray what he is speaking into our hearts that lines up with the scripture. Okay, so in that, we can have great expectation. Now, we've been working on this uh, little idea for the last couple of weeks that our level of expectation is only going to rise as high as our revelation of God's nature. We are not going to really expect something from him uh, in a quality way that we don't know is a part of who he is and a part of what he's promised. And and so we've been talking a little bit about, you know, how to get to know his nature. And we've talked about that we learn it first, we through the word of God, obviously, what God has said about himself. And we're going to be looking at some of that, I think, over the next few weeks. Uh, and also, obviously, from our relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. If we have an opinion about something about the Father and it doesn't line up with what we see in Jesus, then our opinion is wrong. Okay, our doctrine is wrong. We all, and and by the way, everybody, we all have wrong doctrine. Okay? No matter how much we pursue God in this life and how sincere we are, None of us are going to get it 100% right. Where I, I believe we will all be lovingly corrected. I think the Lord probably laughs at some of our doctrine. He, he doesn't strike us with lightning. Although Elena came pretty close last week, but we won't. They, I'm sorry. They had a ladder leaning up against the house on Wednesday night and it got hit by lightning. So anyway, we don't know what that means about. But anyway, um, so, you know, but, but, I, but he will lovingly disciple us and correct us. But we want to pursue knowing him. You know, that's what Paul said. My determined purpose is to know him. Out of knowing him, our faith grows, our expectation grows. So that's where, that's where we are and that's what we're talking about. So I want to start talking this morning about some, just a few. I just want to give you a, a, a few uh, of the names of God that we find primarily in the Old Testament. The Bible is full of names that God, we, we say we want to uh, get to know God through the word, through what he has said about himself. Well, one of the ways he did that is he, through over the years, over the centuries, he introduced Israel progressively to various aspects of his nature 
by calling himself a name, by naming himself as things like our shepherd, our healer, our shield, our, our redeemer, all of these different things. And those are found in the Old Testament. They don't show up real well in our English Bibles, but what the way that was done was as he revealed himself, then the writer put together a compound name for us. And we're going to look at some of the basic names and a couple of, we're just going to look a little bit out of the life of Abraham this morning, and that's as far as we're going to go. But what I want you to get to, and I think this is really important, is that God revealed himself. In fact, um, the book of Hebrews chapter 1 tells us this. Before it tells us that Jesus, in, in beginning in verse 1 of Hebrews 1, before it comes down to verse 3 and says that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father and those verses that we love and quote, uh, it, it begins by saying, that, and I'm just going to paraphrase here, through a series of revelations and through a series of prophecies, all right, the Lord made himself known and spoke to Israel. It was a progression. Uh, they started with one level of revelation. And you know, we all, we want to know everything about God. I mean, if you love God and you're passionate all about God, we want to know all about him. And that's great. That's an awesome passion to have. But it's just like with a little kid, when I know when I was a kid, I wanted it all right away. I wanted to know it all, understand it all, be able to do it all primarily long before I was ready for it. And, and in the same way, God came to Israel and he just started showing them who he was. And he showed them through the prophecies, through what he did, through his ways, through his activities, through what he said to Moses, through what he said to Abraham, to Jacob. I mean, it was a series, a progressive series of revelations. We have the benefit when we, th like we're going to talk about Abraham this morning. There were some things that God showed Abraham that nobody, nobody else on the planet was thinking of a God in that context. They weren't thinking of a God that appeared, a God that spoke, a God that their, their gods were wood or stone. Their gods were made by human hands. This God wasn't like that. All right. And, and so it was a progression of revelations. And the point is, that's a part of God's nature. He reveals things to us progressively. The scripture says that he deals with us, he, he communicates with us line upon line, precept upon precept. He builds a foundation in our life and then he begins to add to it and show us more and more of who he is, who we are, what he has for us, what he has done for us. It's a progression. And I just encourage you this morning to let it be a progression. Yes, be passionate to know. Ask him all the questions you want. Dig into his word. Be, be, um, be intentional about all this, but understand, God's, you're going to know him better in five years than you know him today. We always pray you'll know him better before you leave the service today. And that's legitimate. But it is a progression. Let it be a progression. He's really good at discipling us. He's really good. Don't think that, well, God, you need to deal with this area of my life. This is the most important area of, of my life when he's dealing with a different area of your life. If he's bringing you the word and, and speaking to you about a different area of your life, don't argue. Grab that and let that become a part of you. He'll get to this area. Obviously, this is not the one that he's the most 
interested in right now or the most concerned about maybe. And the thing is, we do this with one another. We, somebody gets born again and, and we think, well, God better deal with this issue in their life. And then we see God dealing with some other issue in their life. And it's like, God, don't you know about this issue in their life? I think this one is the most important. This is what I'm going to talk. This is what I'm going to confront in them. And God is obviously moving over here. It's a waste of our time to fight against God's method of discipleship. He's, I, I'm telling you, he's really good at it. If people will just honestly seek him, he will progressively disciple you through his word. And he'll bring people into your life at various times in your life and teachers into your life at various times in your life to give you exactly what you need. If you just have some confidence, he wants to speak to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. You're designed for it and he will do it. Okay, did you find um, Genesis 12 yet? We're not going to talk about it yet, but I just wanted to check and be sure that you're at least working on it. Okay, so here are a few, uh, this, this term, like I said, what we're going to end up looking at is compound names of God. And this, this name L, E-L, just E-L, was the primary, the first revelation that God brought of himself. And it really, it, it primarily, it does just mean God. It is just a Hebrew word for God. And what's contained in it in the Hebrew mind were the two elements of power and sovereignty. All right, God's powerful. Sounds like a good place to start. And God's sovereign. It means, the sovereignty means the right and the might. Okay, the right and the ability to rule. And, and when we think about, so they first knew him as the powerful and sovereign God, all right? And so at that point, that obviously moves on us to worship. It moves us to, to honor. It moves on us to realize we're not the powerful and so sovereign God. He's the powerful and sovereign God. So it takes you to a good place, all right? And I don't want to talk about it a lot, but there, you know, there are various streams in the body of Christ that take that issue of sovereignty and they take it to such an extent that they believe that every single thing that happens on planet earth is God's will. It is either allowed with a purpose by God. In, in other words, God gave it permission to happen or it can't happen. Or it is actually his purpose and he does it. That is a pretty extreme view of sovereignty. God is, listen to me, all Christians believe that God is absolutely sovereign. He has the power and the right to do whatever he pleases. But the point is that in that sovereignty, God has chosen some things. And one of the things he's chosen is to put man in the earth and share his authority over this earth with man. And, you know, we can go from Genesis on and the fall of man and the giving of that authority over to Satan. And then Jesus takes back the keys and he turns to the church and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Now, therefore, you go. And he again partners with us and shares uh, his authority, and he partners with people on the earth. And I, again, I've said this to you many times, that amazes me. I mean, when I think about myself or I think about the human race in general, it's like, it'd be better if you were just doing it, God. But that's not how he chose to do it. And so in his sovereignty, he has chosen to limit the expression of his sovereignty on earth. The place where we see his sovereignty in full expression, it doesn't look like this. It's called heaven. It doesn't look like, there isn't all the strife, all the war, all the sickness, all the disease, all the death, all the misery. There isn't all that. In heaven, 
Because his sovereignty is seen perfectly there. But that's not how he decided to do it on earth. So not everything that happens in your life is God's will. It's the way it is. And we could, you know, we've taught on that many times. I'm just going to leave it there for today. But the first revelation that Israel got was God is powerful and God is sovereign as the term El. All right. And then we begin to see it really right at the, and let me say this, I don't know, maybe this doesn't matter to anybody else, but even as we look at Abraham's life, we're going to see compound names uh, from the from the name Jehovah. But Jehovah, or we say Jehovah, uh, you know, there are no vowels in that real name, and but we say Jehovah, okay. That's a covenant name. He didn't reveal himself as Jehovah until the time of Moses. But Moses, in his writing about Abraham, went back and used the term Jehovah and a descriptive term to, to produce some of the names of God that we're going to look at today. Okay, I don't know if that matters to anybody, but that's... Uh, it, it makes it clearer for my brain, okay? Which is very important. So, so this second term is Elohim, all right? So it's the term El and just a little bit extended, Elohim, all right? And we see the, the name Elohim used right away at creation, Genesis chapter one. And what it does is it takes that, that idea of powerful and sovereign and it adds to it magnificent creativity. So the idea is when, when, we, when we see the scripture uh, talk about in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? That's Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim. So here's this God, all-powerful, totally sovereign, and what he uses that to do is create. And he uses that to create not, not just the whole natural creation, but to create the animals, to create mankind, uh, to create beings that he would have relationship with. That tells us something about his nature. If you had all the power and, and all authority and all sovereignty... We can think of a lot of ways we would use that that are not godly, right? Because we're not God. God used all of that creatively. That was his heart, and it is still his heart. He, has, he is an incredible creator. And, and again, over in Hebrews, it talks to us about how he created the universe, and then through his word, he created it through his word, and he upholds it and propels it. He keeps it together uh, through his word. So this is who he was. So they began to know him uh, in this way. All right. Also, the really important thing, are you with me so far? The really important thing that comes into play with the term Elohim is that that word is plural in the Hebrew. So when it says in the beginning, God is one being, but we already see that he is made up of, we don't know there are three yet, but we know that he is plural, that he is one God, three persons. I mean, we know he's three persons now because we know Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I was going to say a few minutes ago, so, so here's Israel, or, or you think about Abraham, where he was as he's learning these things about God. They were totally new. We have the benefit of everything that was revealed to Israel and Jesus. And 
written Bibles and the Holy Spirit living in us. There's really, we don't have any very good excuses for not getting to know him, right? We have all of that benefit. The people here, they didn't have that. God was just beginning to reveal himself uh, to people. But, but Adam and Eve would have known him as Elohim. You know, he said, let us make man in our image. We get all this plural language that begins with the term as God revealed himself as Elohim, okay? And then as people walked with him longer, then as he began to create covenant and that kind of thing, uh, then he revealed himself with this name that we call Jehovah, okay? That is the most used name in the Hebrew Bible, all right, is the, is the name that is used the most. It kind of encompasses everything we said there, plus the idea of the God who uh, makes covenant. But the the big revelation within that, remember how he would say to, when he was going back and forth with Moses, and he was sending Moses uh, to, to Egypt, to Pharaoh and all that. And, you know, they had a lot of gods. And Moses said, who, sh- who am I supposed to say is sending me? And he says, I am, or I am that I am. And that idea is embodied in the name Jehovah. It is the idea that God is self-existent. He has all of his existence within himself. He is dependent on, reliant on no one. No one carved him out of a piece of wood. Nobody carved him out of stone. Nobody decides who he is and who he should be and what he's all about except for himself. It, it has the idea of eternity. He is eternally existent. And he holds all that existence within himself. Nobody can take it away from him. Nobody can take his life. He is the author of life. All that's held in that name, Jehovah. So you can see these things were progressive revelations that, that people came to know over time. All right, so let's look at, I just want to look at a few and just kind of walk through a little bit of, and we're going to, um, you know, we're going to skip along here and you can go back and pick up these different chapters, but we're going to go first to uh, Genesis chapter 12 and we can start in verse one. I'm going to read from the New King James Bible today. So Genesis chapter 12, verse one, it says, now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those him who curses you. And in all the families, all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. All right. We know now that what he was speaking of was the lineage that would come down to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, and would come through Abraham, all right? But here is a situation where Abraham had lived with his father in a place that worshipped a moon god, and, and then this god begins not only to, you know, to reveal himself, but to speak to Abram and to make promises to Abram. It wasn't even just, okay, I'm God, get down on your face and worship me. It was, here's what I'm going to do in you and for you and through you. I'm making promises to bless you. He's revealing himself as a God that blesses, a God that has a plan, and a God that has a plan that involves human beings. 
And when we made Abraham here, he's 75 years old already. All right. So he starts talking about, about you're going to have kids, 75-year-old Abraham. And, and through those kids, the whole world's going to be blessed. From the time we meet Abraham, the promise is impossible without God. From the time we meet him, what God is saying is absolutely impossible in the natural. And that's why Abraham is called for us the father of faith. He put his trust in what he was, what he was hearing. But as we go on, um, we'll just go ahead and read it. Verse 4, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that he had gathered, and the people whom, (laughs) it's not exactly leaving your family, by the way, uh, whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan, and Abram passed through that land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, uh, and the Canaanites were in the land. All right. Um. We're going to see more of this in a few minutes here, but I was thinking about Lot and that whole deal. And, and we make kind of a big deal about the fact that God said, leave all your family, and Abram didn't. So he obeyed partially. There was some car- compromise there. He took Lot with him. A lot of Bible scholars speculate that from the word go, he didn't know how he was going to be able to produce kids. I'm 75 years old. God made this promise. I better take my young nephew with me, probably work through him. You know, I mean, there was, you can see this throughout Abraham's walk. He lies about his wife when they go to Egypt. He, you know, they, they try the thing with Hagar. I mean, there's all these things that happen before Isaac is finally born when, they're, when he's almost 100 years old. Uh, but at any rate, I was thinking about Lot, and I was thinking about how up the road a ways, you know, they go together. Then they both gain all these herds. Then they can't, the land can't sustain all the animals they have. So they split up and God makes another great promise to Abraham, commits himself to him again. Lot takes what looks like the greener country, goes down, lives by Sodom. Uh, Abraham, as we're going to look at in chapter 14, has to go out and fight to rescue Lot. Abraham didn't need to have a fight with those five kings. He did it to rescue Lot and his family because Lot had already made poor choices and gotten himself in a mess. And so he has to go out and rescue him and get him back out of that. And from that point, Abraham goes on and he has these conversations with God and God is you know, building the vision into him, recommitting himself, not getting frustrated with him when he can't figure out how in the world you're going to bring kids out of me and my wife who are both old, you know, and all that's going on. Lot goes back to Sodom and then has to get rescued again when God's going to destroy the city. Abraham has to intercede for him again so that they wouldn't all be destroyed and they have to go in there and pull him and his family out of there before those cities are destroyed. And, and then there's all kinds of mess, you know, with, with Lot and his daughters and all these things that go on. And I was thinking, I don't know, you know, he probably wasn't supposed to be there in the first place. But when he started making the decisions, when Abraham said, you know, there's, the land can't sustain all of our herds. So we've got to split up. Take whichever direction you want. It's like the blessing of God will be on me no matter what. Lot looks at the green ground and takes that for himself 
and goes to this place. And from there on, it's like the decisions that he make just take him downhill. And it wasn't just that. It was his family, his daughters. There was incest. There was all this stuff that went on. And it was all because, or I think it was all because he made some poor choices to not trust in God the way that Abraham was. And it spread into his family. It continued for generations. So that's kind of neither here nor there. But anyway, I've been thinking about that a lot, that the choices that we make really matter. And not just for us, but for people around us, for other people that have to come to our rescue over and over and over, and they'll do it. And so will God. And that's a wonderful thing. But it's nice if we become the rescuers, you know, rather than always having to be rescued our whole life. And uh, the choices we make affect our kids. They affect future generations. It's just really important that we keep walking with God. All right, so Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he's speaking the promise again and again. I need God to speak his promise to me again and again. And he'll do it. He's so good about that. And there he, Abram, built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is another name of God. The Lord who had appeared to him. The word Lord is the word Jehovah. So he is the covenant-making God. He is I am. He is the self-existent God. He's all that. Who appeared to him? Okay, it's a compound name. It is Jehovah Ra'ah. It's R-A-A-H. There's a couple different spellings, but uh, it's R-A-A-H. All right, for our purposes. So, so this is where Abraham, God manifested himself to Abraham. He's heard his voice. But suddenly he's the God who appeared. He's the God who manifested himself. We're kind of used to that idea that Jesus came and lived on the earth so that we would have the visible representation of who the Father is. That's a big deal. We talk about it a lot. But at this time, this was the first. Here's a God who not only cares. Again, nobody carved this God. Nobody set this God up as a pillar of stone. Nobody did any of that. This God has his existence in himself and he speaks to people, he interacts with people and now he's making himself known and visible to people. We don't know, it doesn't tell us exactly what that looked like, but here it's Jehovah Ra'ah. It is the God who manifested himself to me. That is a part of his nature. He is a God who wants to reveal himself to us. Certainly there's mystery in God. There's no question about that. There's mystery in God. We will never understand it all. But his nature is a revealer. When the devil tries to tell you God's hiding himself from you, he's not going to talk to you, he's not going to appear, you need to remember that he is Jehovah Ra'ah. He is the God who appears. He is the God who manifests himself. He is the God who reveals. He has sent his spirit to live in you so that you can know him. He has redeemed you with his own blood so that you can know him. Okay, so no matter what feelings we have, no matter how shut down we might feel, you have to, you can't live by your feelings. You've got to live by what God has said about himself. And he says, I am the God who appears. I am the God uh, who, having my existence in myself, I appear. And it's interesting because Abram's response 
This is a built-in response to us. When God manifests himself to us, whether he speaks to us from his word or whether we have a vision or he speaks to us through prophecy, whatever it is, there's a movement in our, Abraham built an altar. We don't have to build an altar. Jesus is the altar. But, but there is a, a worship response. When God speaks, when God reveals, when God appears, there is a worship response. And we need to give ourselves to that. We need to give ourselves, because in that moment, there's this interaction between us and God that can just pull, bring tremendous things into our lives. And that's what Abraham's reaction was. He built an altar. He worshiped at that place. All right. So, so again, this was a new thing. Nobody else's God was talking. Nobody else's God was appearing. The God of Abraham was the one who did that. All right. Let's go forward up to uh, Genesis chapter 14. We've got about 10 minutes left here. And these are the verses we looked at this morning, beginning in verse 18. Uh, these are the verses we looked at this morning during communion. I just want to bring a couple other things out of it. So again, what has happened here is there are four kings over here and five kings over here, and they fought with each other. And then uh, that was all. It seemed like Abraham wasn't paying any attention to any of that until the, that last battle uh, where they, the five fought against the four and they took Lot and his family captive along with everybody else out of that city, okay? Then it became personal to Abraham. So he takes 300 and some odd people out of his group and he goes and fights with these five kings, defeats them. So he's right, there's a lot we could say about this, but we'll just go through a few basics. He's right out of a huge victory, all right? And all this spoil, has come into his life. All these goods, all these people who had been taken captive, it all comes into his life. And it says, and then Melchizedek, and we talked about this, king of Salem, all right, brought out bread and wine. Again, the word Melchizedek means king of righteousness, and he is also named king of Salem, king of peace. We talked about that earlier. Brought out bread and wine, so he initiates this place of intimacy with God. He's a priest, priest is a bridge builder. And you'll see him, he, he speaks, says he was the priest of God Most High. God Most High is another name of God. It is the name El Elyon, two words. El, we know what that means, God. Elyon, E-L-Y-O-N, E-L-Y-O-N, all right? And it means, it's translated most of the time into English, Most High God. And that's exactly what it means. This is the recognition that God is exalted above everything and everybody. This is the God who reveals himself to be in charge. He is the God who is, he is above, and we know the name of Jesus is above every name. We know that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee's got to bow. It's not just human knees. It's not just human knees. Every spiritual knee must bow at the name of Jesus. That's this person. And Melchizedek comes into this, this place of great victory with Abraham. And he brings out this, it's this term of adoration and worship. It says, this is the God who is the preeminent one. He is preeminent in all things. And it moves them into this place of worship. He brings out bread and wine. And so in that place, there is this this sense of worship and this sense of intimacy. And he as a priest, and again, the New Testament tells us Melchizedek, he was a person. He wasn't Jesus, 
but he represents Jesus. He is an Old Testament type or shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he brings out bread and wine, and he, Melchizedek, blesses Abram. Right? He said, blessed be Abram of God Most High. God Most High. Possessor of heaven and earth. That term possessor means creator and possessor. He created it. It belongs to him. He is God Most High. And blessed be goes the other way. God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abram, gave him a tithe of all. So this is the first place, I, I believe we see the principle of the tithe back in the garden. But at any rate, this is the first place the tithe is specifically mentioned. And so again, Abram has come out of this victory and great possessions have come into his life. And he takes the first 10% of that. And in this revelation that, you know what? You are God most high. You are preeminent above everything. In that place, his response is to give in worship into this, in this case, this priest. If you read through, and we're not going to do it this morning. It's complicated language, but uh, Hebrews chapter 7 talks about this incident. And it tells us it's a representation of the tithe. It tells us who Melchizedek was. It tells us some about the, uh, the priesthood uh, in, in Israel but it talks about how the representation is here that when we bring the tithe, we are bringing it to Jesus. We are giving to God. We are saying, you are God most high. You have blessed me. And now I give back to you. That's, that's the whole deal. And in that, like Annie said this morning, we honor God with that. All right. So with this idea that this God is the most exalted one, El Elyon. There's this idea within us, the posture of worship is, I subjugate all that I am and all that you give to me, all that you bring into my life, I, I put that below you. All right, so, so when we're talking about our expectation, we need, to, we need to think about that frequently in a place of worship. God is everything that I am and everything I have. Is it yielded to you? Is there something in my life that's exerting more influence on my life than you are? If so, it's an idol and I need to tear it down because you are the most high God. Does this make sense to you? It is this place of, it's this place of submission that we come to again and again. It's not a it's a good fearful submission. It's not a bad fearful submission. It's not out of fear that he's going to destroy us or something. It is just that reverence. It is that honor. This is God most high. And, and he has blessed me. He let me win this battle and he brought this stuff into my life. All right, we've just got a couple minutes left. So he, so he comes to this and if, if we read through it and we're not going to take time this morning, you can continue in it. You know, the immediate thing that happens in this, he's in this place of worship, he's bringing the tithe. This king of Sodom, who represents Satan in the story, comes with the temptation to Abram right there in this place of victory. And, and that often happens. We, we receive one victory, but the devil wants to somehow tempt us to compromise out of that victory. And he says, look, uh, why don't you keep all the stuff? Just give me the people, which I think that's really interesting. The devil wants people. 
You know, he doesn't care so much. He'll use stuff to get people, but, it's, but he wants the people. And, and he says, why don't you keep all the stuff? And Abraham says, I have sworn, he doubles down. He says, I have sworn an oath to God most high, and I'm not taking anything from you. And, and so he releases it all except the tithe and the part that his men needed to eat for fighting the battle. There was, there was that that went on. But he said, the rest, I'm not touching any of it because it will never be said that you are the one that made Abraham rich. It will be God most high who made Abraham rich. So he just doubles down on the worship and the commitment at this point. Um, we are really about out of time here. Um, let's just look at one more verse. Just one more verse. Got to have this in here. Genesis 15. All right. Are you getting anything out of this? So Genesis 15, begin verse 1. So, so all of this happens. And he has this big victory. And he has this time of worship. But he comes out and he says, God, I still don't know how your promise is going to be fulfilled. I'm still old. I'm older than I was. Sarah's older than she was. How is this going to happen? And so he gets into this time again of just questioning and, and concern over, God, I just don't see it. And God's response is not to rebuke him. He takes him outside. He says it to him again. He speaks to his heart again. God will do that for you. If you're not coming to him and saying, God, this is never going to happen and God, da, da, if instead you're coming to him saying, Lord, I need to hear, I need the promise again. I need you to speak to me. I need the encouragement. He will come and encourage you. And, and he does and he takes Abraham outside and he shows him the stars and he says, look at that. See, if you can count them, count them. And he's like, I can't count them. He says, that's what your descendants are going to be like. And he just reiterates, it's just a beautiful picture of God's, God's nature here. But it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. So after all this victory and all this stuff, Abram's still afraid. And God comes and recommits himself to him to get rid of the fear, to deal with his fear again. And he says this, and I'll just give it to you quickly. He defines himself again. He says, I am, God says, I am your shield. All right, I'm the one who protects. Actually, that word shield, it's both an offensive and defensive weapon. But I am your shield. It's not the money that's your shield. It's not somebody else that's your shield. It's not any of that. I am. I'm taking on that role. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. That term shield means I am your surrounding place of refuge. I am your fortress. I am the safe place you can hide. I am the safe place for you. All right. God's presence in us and upon us. It's not just here to make us feel better emotionally. It is a place of refuge for us. God has committed that. This is part of his nature. It's who he is. And he says, I am your exceedingly great reward. That, that phrase means something that exceeds all expectations, something that is abundant. It is far over and above the term great describes increase by multiplication. Increase by multiplication. A continuous increase in volume, extent, 
power, or influence. The word great, it means a continuous increase in volume. That would be amount, not loud, okay? Volume, extent, power, or influence. And the word reward is used of earthly reward given by God for spiritual faithfulness. It is, re, it is used of reward in material things or influence as well as children in your life. But it is earthly reward for spiritual faithfulness. God says, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. There's a lot to meditate on right there in those verses. And what God has said to one Oh, that's Abraham. Yeah, who's your father of faith? Whose child is Jesus in whom you live? Right? Whose covenant? We're still in the Abrahamic covenant. It's just now fulfilled in Jesus Christ because we couldn't do it. This covenant became the Mosaic covenant. This covenant became the new covenant. We are his descendants as much as any Jew We are his descendants. So this applies to you. You can take this. You can take this. And this is how God defines himself and speaks to himself. So as you're going through your Bible, watch for these things. Look up these words. We're going to look at some more as weeks go on. But, you know, watch for these things and take hold of them. He is your God. He is all the things we described this morning to you and to me. Did you get anything out of that? Let's stand up and pray this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Honestly, I mean, I know I'm talking, but I feel kind of speechless. I, when we look at these things, we look at who you are and we look at how you've revealed yourself and your faithfulness. Your faithfulness, Lord, is so astounding. And what we live in and what we have available to us, not a one of us deserve it, but it's ours in Jesus Christ and we accept it. We thank you for it and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to continue to reveal the Father to us, reveal the heart of God to us as we go through our daily walk and our time with you. Reveal to us. We love knowing who you are. And Father, as we go out into this community this week, we trust there will be opportunities. Help us, Holy Spirit, not to miss them, not to pass them by out of busyness, but there will be opportunities to minister your life, your purpose, and who you are to others. And Lord, we know that's our assignment. So we accept it. We trust you to fulfill it through us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We will say this on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin in the world and will be dismissed. All right. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.